Hey guys, Michael Hyatt here. We're super excited because our brand new book, the book that Megan and I wrote together, Win at Work and Succeed at Life, will be available everywhere in just five short days. I can't believe it. And in just a minute, we're going to play the book's first chapter. But before we get to that, here's why I think this book is so important. As we live our lives and strive to do the best we can, it's easy to get tunnel vision, right? Our personal lives get crowded out while we put in long hours at the office for that that next raise or that next promotion or that next business milestone. And it's easy to let this go to the extreme, which leaves the people in our personal lives holding the bag. And our health takes a back seat. And it's not a pretty destination at the end of this road. Trust me, I've lived it. On the other hand, if we focus entirely on our personal lives and shortchange our careers, we're leaving so much on the table. Potential success, advancement, and financial rewards that are left unfulfilled can lead to resentment and emptiness. And I've seen that too. This book shows you that you don't have to choose success in your career or success in your personal life. That's a false dichotomy. You can have both. And we're going to play the first chapter here in just a moment. But first, another reason we're so excited about this year's book launch is because we're holding a really big event, a really important event that we want you to attend. Now, you know how we are. We take pride in our events. We go all out, and this is no exception. The event is called Win at Work and Succeed at Life Live, and it's happening on the book's release date, April the 20th. And of course, you're invited. Personal invitation for me. But instead of charging for admission, all you have to do is buy the book. So go to winandsucceedbook.com to pre-order it, and you're in. That's your ticket. And you're going to love the guests who are joining us. They're a big deal, and they're going to give us the goods on how they've been able to succeed in their remarkable careers without sacrificing their families and personal interests. Again, go to winandsucceedbook.com to pre-order your copy and get in on the live event. Now let's listen to the first chapter of Win and Work and Succeed at Life. Chapter 1. The Double Win The really tough choices are genuine dilemmas because each side is firmly rooted in one of our basic core values. Rushworth Kidder Her tears were born out of years of silent suffering. Each drop carried a memory fed from a deep well of hurt. Sitting next to my wife, Gail, in our family den, I was caught totally off guard. I felt as though there weren't enough tissues in the world to wipe away the pain. Gail and I have been married for more than 40 years. She's always been my biggest supporter and cheerleader. But that afternoon, silent resentment and regret finally bubbled over. I wanted to defend myself. Thankfully, I somehow had the presence of mind to keep my mouth shut long enough to listen. Several hours earlier, I'd been sitting with my boss in his spacious C-suite office at Thomas Nelson Publishers. The walls were lined with books our company had published. I felt proud scanning the upright spines. After all, my team and I had produced a bunch, including several bestsellers, all while transforming the company's worst-performing division into its top profit generator. But the CEO had called me in for more than an attaboy. He reached across the desk and handed me the biggest bonus check I'd ever seen. I had to read the number twice. It was larger than my annual salary. I somehow resisted the overpowering urge to call Gail with the news. I wanted to tell her in person. 
I knew she'd be elated. The two of us had an unspoken, unarticulated pact going back to our earliest years together. Here's how it went, more or less. We've got a big family, five kids with lots of expenses. I will go work and do whatever's needed to provide for us. Meanwhile, Gail will manage the home front. We'll check in occasionally, but we'll stay in our lanes. Off we went in separate directions. Me to work, Gail to running the home. My career was pretty much everything for me then, and Gail frequently found herself covering for me with the kids while I worked nights and weekends. She never complained behind my back about my absence. Quite the opposite. I know Dad wishes he could be here, she'd tell the kids, but what he's doing is important. I'm so proud of him for how hard he works for us. Neglect in one area often signals neglect in others. Not only was I underserving my family, I was underserving my health in those days, too. I thought I could get along just fine eating junk and indefinitely postponing exercise. But now, after working 70 to 80 hours a week, traveling countless hours through soulless airports, and missing far too many family events, the payoff was in hand. The massive bonus check in my pocket was proof it was all worthwhile. As I double-checked the number, all the zeros before the period felt like validation. When I finally arrived home, I was grinning from ear to ear. I had bagged the big one. Against all my expectations, however, Gail was subdued. Babe, she finally said, I really want to be excited for you, but we need to talk. Uh-oh. No high fives? No, let's pop the champagne? She led me into the den. As we sat down, I noticed her lip was quivering. She composed herself. You know, Michael, I love you, she said. I'm so proud of you. I appreciate all that you're doing to support this family. But I gotta be honest. You are never home. Your five daughters need you. Even when you are home, you're not really here. You're somewhere else. She paused, tearing up as she weighed her words. Honestly, I feel like a single mom. The hustle fallacy and the ambition break. We all begin our professional lives, switch jobs, and take promotions with good intentions. No one starts by thinking, the choices I make today will alienate my spouse and cause my children to hate me. Or, the patterns I set now will lead to exhaustion and burnout. Or, it's time to start trading my health for wealth. Instead, we picture the financial, emotional, and social benefits that come from meaningful work. Our options are open, our future bright. But as stress and strains intensify at work, as they invariably do, many of us fall for the hustle fallacy. We think if we just crank a little harder, we can push past all the pressure. The demands keep mounting, and we try running faster still. We hope to catch up, maybe even get ahead, if we just work smarter and master personal productivity. But no matter what we do, the obligations outpace our hustle. We work longer and sleep shorter, fix problems at the office while creating new ones at home, attend more meetings and skip more meals, games, and nights with friends, plan bigger projects, and lead smaller lives. We assume we'll eventually be free to pause, relax, and give attention to our health and relationships, but before long, eventually, becomes another way of saying never. Our life becomes what researcher Anne Burnett calls an everyday-a-thon. 
Presented this unattractive picture, some people opt for a completely different reality. They refuse to shortchange health or relationships and intentionally throttle back their career. Instead of hustling harder, they pump the ambition brake. But this choice has trade-offs of its own. Applying the ambition brake might secure our health and our family, but we end up with unused potential, reduced income, and other losses. Stress and crazy hours no longer crush our health or personal life, but unfulfilled professional dreams and ambitions could just as well crush our souls. And that's where my story comes in. The Impossible Choice As you might guess from my name, I'm Michael's daughter. I'm also the chief executive officer at Michael Hyatt and Company. Before taking that role, I served as chief operating officer for several years. But filling those roles almost didn't happen. When my husband Joel and I got married, I was running communications at New Hope Academy, a nonprofit private school with a mission of racial reconciliation in Franklin, Tennessee. He was a vice president at Thomas Nelson. After a couple years together, we decided to adopt two young boys from Uganda. They were only toddlers, but both had already experienced a lot of trauma. Still, we figured we were up to the challenge. We had Jesus, Target, and Whole Foods. That and a little love can solve anything, right? We were in over our heads from the start. Shortly after we got home, I quit my job to care for our boys full-time. But therapies and specialists don't come cheap. We couldn't afford the help we needed on Joel's salary alone. I had to find a part-time position somewhere. Around that time, my dad launched Michael Hyatt & Company, and pretty soon, he needed a part-time manager, and we figured I could do the job in about 10 hours a week. Given our situation, that seemed like the perfect fit, so I took the role. We were off like a rocket. As the business raced ahead, my 10 hours became 20, and then 30, and then 40. The scope of my role and size of my salary grew along with the hours. In fact, two years in, my earning potential exceeded Joel's. He quit Nelson and began freelancing, holding things together at home while I pursued this rapidly scaling opportunity. That's when I faced an impossible choice. Eventually, my dad and I realized we needed more than a manager. We needed a chief operating officer. We both knew I'd be great for the role, but I also realized it would be more demanding than anything I'd done before, and that presented a dilemma. I could become the COO or successfully raise my kids. That's how it felt. An or, not an and. I could achieve my potential as an executive, but my children would suffer. Alternatively, I could turn my attentions home, but I'd have to take a backseat in the company I helped build. I could win at work, or I could succeed at life, but it seemed as though I couldn't do both. A better solution. That's exactly how it felt to me as I sat with Gail in the den all those years ago. I was winning at work. I was meeting and beating my numbers. I was leading my team. I couldn't let them down. They expected and deserved to go on to better, higher accomplishments. My boss did too. He was literally banking on it. Of course, Gail and the girls also needed me, and I knew winning at life included additional areas worth my attention. Health, friendships, hobbies, and all the pursuits and pastimes that make a well-rounded person. The choice couldn't be so binary as hustling or breaking. There had to be a better solution. When facing such an impossible choice, it's wise to look for a third option. The confrontation in the den wasn't the first time workaholism had caused problems in my marriage. I'll share another in the next chapter, but Gail's tearful protest was the most sobering to date. I had to find an answer. I started to ask myself, 
Was there another way? One that wouldn't cost me my career or my family? One that didn't leave me with a lifetime of burnt bridges, failed health, financial disaster, and family regrets? What if I could win at work and succeed at life? It took several years of research, experimentation, and self-discovery, but I'm happy to report I found that elusive third option. We call it the double win. It's what my company is all about today. It's what this book is about now. We don't alter our trajectory by running faster or slower. As Andy Stanley says, direction, not intention, leads to destination. We must imagine a different destination and then change our course to get there. Thankfully, around the same time I contemplated the COO offer, I attended a conference where one of the speakers, a CEO of a very successful business and mother of several children, helped paint a different picture for me. She said, there's nothing in my business so important that can't be handled between the hours of 8.30 a.m. and 3.30 p.m. so that I can be home with my kids without compromising my business results. That was the first time I'd heard that perspective from a female executive. Her observation opened up a new sense of possibility. I didn't have to work 50-plus hours a week and ignore my kids. Here was my third way. I told my dad that I could take the job on one condition. I had to unplug from work and leave every day at 3 p.m. to pick up our kids from school. I wanted to be the one greeting them, fully focused on their day without the distractions of email, texting about business, or getting tied up on the phone. He agreed. I took the job, and I've been working some version of that schedule ever since. My story is an example of the double win, which sees work and life in partnership, not opposition. They complement and fuel each other. Winning at work gives us the confidence, joy, and financial support necessary to support our personal priorities. Succeeding at life fosters a clear mind, creativity, and a rested body so we can focus on the work that matters most. This is not an abstract hope. It's a concrete, daily reality. We live it. Our employees live it. Our coaching clients live it. And it's a real possibility for you as well. But there's an obstacle. The Cult of Overwork For most of us, our sense of what's possible is shaped by the cult of overwork. It's a widespread belief, one endemic to major corporations and small businesses alike. And it holds vast numbers of workers in its sway. Knowingly or not, to one degree or another, millions of us have accepted the idea that work provides the primary orientation for life. Constraints stifle productivity. Work-life balance is a myth. A person should always be busy, and rest wastes time that could otherwise go to work. We may never consciously verbalize these ideas, and many of us would deny them when they're stated so clearly, but they hover in the background nonetheless, quietly informing our thoughts and actions. The impact of this belief system on our lives is staggering. Consider health. Eight in ten workers in the U.S. suffer from on-the-job stress. When we're under pressure, we tend to abandon healthy self-care habits, which amplifies the problem. People who clock in excess of 55 hours each week raise their chance of heart attack by 13% and stroke by 33% compared to those who work only 35 to 40 hours. That's to say nothing of tension headaches, digestive troubles, higher blood pressure and cholesterol, decreased libido, and elevated levels of epinephrine and cortisol, all of which overworking contributes to. What about relationships? Three-quarters of U.S. professionals say stress undermines their personal connections. 
entrepreneurs seem to suffer considerably higher divorce rates than others. Same with CEOs. These high-pressure jobs would be enough to strain any relationship, but long hours and singular attention to work drive marital breakdown. The number one reason why CEO marriages fail is lack of time for family, according to a story by CNN. CEOs are almost always at work, and when they're not, they're thinking about work. Said an attorney quoted in the story, you end up with these fractured relationships where the husband and wife are almost living two separate lives. Overwork also damages job satisfaction, productivity, and more. A recent study by the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence examined engagement and burnout in over 1,000 U.S. employees. 20% of employees reported both high engagement and high burnout. They were passionate about their work, but they were suffering from it too. Constant stress and anxiety compromise our ability to think clearly and make good decisions. Our judgment goes out the window, and we make more mistakes than usual. Not only does this produce diminished performance, but it works like a negative feedback loop. The cult of overwork is a self-reinforcing belief system. When overworked, we tend to think the answer is more work. It's a classic example of what economist Brian Kaplan calls an idea trap. Good ideas tend to produce good outcomes, and good outcomes reinforce good ideas. But the reverse, as Kaplan explains, is also true. Bad ideas tend to produce bad outcomes and reinforce bad ideas. Once you fall into this trap, he says, all it often takes is common sense to get out. But when people are desperate, common sense gets even less common than usual. Breaking free from the cult of overwork requires interrupting the negative feedback loop with new and better ideas. That's why we wrote Win at Work and Succeed at Life. We want to offer our fellow high achievers some of that hard-to-come-by common sense. In the chapters ahead, we present not only a rejection of the cult of overwork, but also a proven pathway you can follow to experience the double win for yourself. Let's talk about how. Five Principles of the Double Win High achievers feel compelled to overwork for a variety of reasons. Some good, some bad, some inherent to the very nature of work itself. We'll spend time looking at those in the next chapter. Then we will offer our counterproposal to the cult of overwork, the five principles of the double win. Here's an overview of each. 1. Work is only one of many ways to orient your life. There are several domains besides work, but family, friends, community, physical and emotional health, and all the rest are easily marginalized while pursuing career ambitions. The cult of overwork obscures the fact that success is only sustainable when most of these domains thrive together, which is a challenge. Technology encourages work to backflow into our nights and weekends, and that eclipses other life-enhancing pursuits, which undercuts both our personal and professional lives. A culture that encourages employees to work all hours will damage the support structures that make those employees good at their jobs in the first place. Life is multidimensional, and success is too. We bet you came to this book because you believe that to be true, but haven't had the right tools to protect those other domains. We'll talk about how to do that as we go. Two, constraints foster productivity, creativity, and freedom. Early in our careers, neither of us were taught to appreciate the power of constraints. But we all have a finite amount of time, money, energy, mental bandwidth, and creative capacity since we can't do everything, constraints force us to make choices. We have to decide where and how to best spend our time, money, and so on. 
When working within the constraint, we experience tremendous gains. Not only does our productivity improve, but so does our capacity for fresh thinking. We're also free to engage our whole life, not merely the parts tied to our laptop or smartphone. Ironically, it's when we refuse to acknowledge life's natural constraints that they get the better of us. If, on the other hand, we embrace constraints, we can turn them into aids to achievement. Three, work-life balance is truly possible. Many think achieving work-life balance is a myth because they assume balance is an attempt at some sort of zen-like state of equilibrium when everything is in perfect proportion, perfect alignment. Once achieved, you're set for all time. Since that's impossible, they believe balance is likewise impossible. But that's not reality, nor is that what we're advocating. Work-life balance is dynamic, not static. Consider the gymnast walking across a balance beam or an acrobat walking the tightrope, constantly adjusting. Balance requires us to anticipate and deal with variables. It also requires us to weigh the different domains of life intentionally and with a view towards seeing they all get the attention they require. It's not about the perfect distribution of our efforts and interests, time and talents, or anything so precise. It's about not dropping the ball because we took our eye off it and forgot to check back. Given cultural and workplace pressures, this is especially burdensome on professional women. We'll explore why and what can be done about that as well. Four, there's incredible power in non-achievement. High achievers struggle to hear this, but many of the most enriching, restorative activities in our lives are ends in themselves, hobbies, art, child-rearing, friendships, music, wine, crafts, games, and more. This is difficult to embrace because high achievers want to measure everything. It's got to count or it doesn't matter. We're hardwired to pursue the all-important return on investment, but not everything is a goal. Not everything has an ROI outcome to measure, at least not in the short term. Even more problematic is wrongly believing that achievement is always good and non-achievement is pointless. As we'll see, it pays major dividends. Five, rest is the foundation of meaningful, productive work. The cult of overwork devalues rest. Sleep is of no commercial value, right? In fact, some regard it as the enemy. If we're not careful, we can view rest as a necessary evil, a biological need we begrudgingly endure to keep working and consuming. Never mind the overwhelming body of evidence showing that sleep rejuvenates our mind and body, keeps us sharp, and powers performance. Sleep is not only the secret weapon of enhanced productivity, it's also the foundation for it. When we undervalue sleep, we also fail to understand the negative consequences when we and our team are sleep-deprived. We'll discover that rest is an active skill, and we'll gain a fresh appreciation for deliberate rest as a tool to stimulate and sustain creativity in work and life. In the cult of overwork, work is the primary orientation for life. The Devil Wind reframes this as work is one of many ways to orient your life. In the cult of overwork, constraints stifle productivity. With the double win, constraints foster productivity, creativity, and freedom. In the cult of overwork, work-life balance is a myth. With the double win, work-life balance is truly possible. In the cult of overwork, a person should always be busy. With the double win, there's incredible power in non-achievement. In the cult of overwork, 
Rest diverts time away from more work. With the double win, rest is the foundation for meaningful, productive work. The double win decision. We've both made a lot of sacrifices for our careers over the years. We're convinced the trade-off wasn't worth it, not only in terms of what it cost our personal lives, but also what it costs our professional performance. What we miss for years, and what you might be missing right now, is that these aims can be achieved only in tandem. If we try advancing one at the expense of the other, we eventually fail at both. That's why we've paired each of these principles with a practice to help you implement the principle and escape the cult of overwork. As you begin practicing these principles, we're confident you'll see your relationships, health, and well-being improve, along with your job satisfaction and performance. In fact, you'll be more productive, creative, and resourceful than ever. During the last eight years, our team at Michael Hyatt and Company has coached thousands of business owners, executives, and nonprofit leaders like you who find themselves facing the impossible choice. And like us, they don't want to choose winning at work over being successful in life or vice versa. Instead, they've committed to the double win and reaped the benefits. Time and again, we've seen leaders multiply their revenue and slash their hours. We've seen them achieve unprecedented success in their career and in their personal life. We've watched our coaching clients become more productive while at work and fully present when at home. They just needed a new approach. Maybe you're in the same boat. We're grateful that a number of our clients have given us permission to share their stories with you in this book. As you'll see from their accounts, the double win yields amazing returns. It's never too late to steer the ship another direction. Imagine what could happen if you or your company were operating at full capacity instead of the mirage of it. An overbusy life is not an economic necessity. It's a failure of imagination. If you're all in on the hustle fallacy or assume the only alternative is to pump the ambition brake, we want you to imagine something different. Picture what your life would be like if you really had time for your career and your relationships and the time to take care of yourself. Does that sound appealing? Like something you'd like to experience for yourself? If so, let's get started. Hey everybody, it's Nick. And listen, if you're still here in this episode, you listen to that whole chapter, you're hearing me talk right now, then it definitely seems like you should go check out When at Work and Succeeded Life. You should go pick up that book on pre-order, basically wherever you get your books, and then make sure that you go to winandsucceedbook.com and get all of your pre-order bonuses and make sure that you attend that event on April 20th. I'm just calling a spade a spade. If you're still here listening, then I'd recommend that you go check out winandsucceedbook.com and we'll see you on the 20th.